Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. We are here at Real Life celebrating our five-year birthday party. We have been around for five years, and it has been an incredible journey of watching God at work and letting God lead us uh, and following where he called, and it's, uh, it's been incredible. And so I'm so thankful that we get to have this big Vision Day party every year where we get together and eat a lot and have live music and inflatables for the kids. Uh, and so... I'm just, I am so thankful. I'm thankful for this season and for today and for you. And uh, say, so thank you all for, uh, for being a part of this church and helping make Jesus' name known uh, as, we, as we do life together. Uh, it is a, uh, it's, a, it's a stressful season in our world. Uh, it's almost, it's to the point where I can't not say that every week, but we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, uh, both those who cannot get out and those who as a mission uh, for Jesus, have chosen to stay, uh, who hope that their love and ministry continues to change uh, the landscape of their country. So we pray for our brothers and sisters uh, over there, and we pray for all, all the families here. It seems like such a small thing in comparison, but all the families here who over the last month have jumped back into uh, the school season and have put kids back in schools and are dealing with a new season. Uh, it seems like it's been a long time since we've had a, a school year with kids back in school. So we, uh, we pray for all those families out there who are in the midst of that. Before we get into our uh, studies for the day, let's, let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you are our God and our leader. You are our Father and that you call us into life and faith and ministry. So I ask that you'd bless those whose hearts are uh, disturbed, those who are anxious, those who are stressed. God, give us a deep and lasting peace. May your word rest in our hearts and distract us from the distractions of the world. May we focus wholly on you and give our lives to your purposes. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Hey, we're beginning a new series of teachings today called 2020 Hindsight, uh, and we're going to, the subtitle is Seeking Truth in Turbulent Times. We're in the midst of uh, looking back over the year that has passed uh, and thinking about what God has done and what God uh, will be doing in the seasons to come because of it. Uh, as we look back over um, the last year, uh, I realized that over the next couple de decades, there will be science papers written about what happened in 2020. Uh, there will be policy papers written to govern the behavior of future generations. There will be political treatises written to blame the allegedly guilty. But I want to know who is keeping a spiritual log of what we've learned about ourselves and about God in the times of crises. I, I want to know, know what we're going to retain 
when we think back about where God was in the year 2020. I remember back in December of 2019, all these pastors, me included, were talking about next year is going to be a year of 2020 vision. We got a 2020 vision for next year because all the great things we have planned. And we did. We had all kinds of great things planned in December of 2019. And now we know it was actually intended to be a year of 2020 hindsight, of looking back in retrospect and realizing the things that we didn't know and seeing now the things that we've learned. Uh, in the world and here at Real Life over the last year, um, lives have been lost. Friendships have been severed. We've had to make decisions about health and government and faith and science. But the biggest decisions we've had to make are about trust and about truth. And so I want to spend the next few weeks talking about what we've learned and trying to capture what God wants to communicate to us through the crises that we've witnessed, that we've experienced. Let me, let me tell you why this series. There was a, uh, there was a moment in... Um, there's a moment where my phone liked to behave better than it does. There, uh, there's a moment uh, in my uh, early days of ministry where I worked in youth ministry, and I had a middle school youth group at a church. And uh, there was a day where we went out to, uh, to lay some fresh cement on a sidewalk in front of the church. And so the guys came, and they put out the new sidewalk. And a little while after, I went out to look at their handiwork. And already scratched in the cement, in the wet cement, were some words. And the words were, John is a, and then a word you can't say at church, or else your mouth will burst into flames. Uh, and it was signed. Uh, the artist had signed his name, Tommy. Now, coincidentally, John and Tommy were a pair of twins who attended my middle school group and who lived a block away from the church. Their parents didn't really come to church, and John and Tommy were new to the whole thing. They didn't really know what church was about. They really liked it but they weren't quite sure what church was for. Now, side note, Real Life Church, if we ever get to the point where we don't have people in our church who are so new that they have no idea what church is about, then we have failed as a church. I want us always reaching out into the world and welcoming people into our midst who have never been to church and don't quite get what church is about. Doesn't mean we have to let them write their commentary in the sidewalk in front of the church, but we should always be a church for the world out there, introducing people to Jesus. So I get this note left in my sidewalk by Tommy about John. So I call their parents on the phone, and I get Dad on the phone. And I say, hi, Dad. I've got something I'd like to read to you. And I read him all the words. And then I say, and guess what? It's signed. And he pauses for a minute, and then he blurts out, does it say Tommy? And I said, I wouldn't be calling you otherwise. And so he, he hurried over to the church, and we took a trowel, and we smoothed it out as best we could before the cement was dry. Well, now listen. We've been through a lot in this last year. And a lot of it has been painful. And a lot of it has been destructive. But the reality is, the cement is still wet. And before the cement dries... I want you and I to think through what we've done and what we've said and what we've thought and who we want to be. 
Before the cement is dry, I want us to look at what God has taught us over the last year and what we want to retain and what maybe we need to go and smooth out right now. So over the course of the next few weeks in this series, we're going to talk about fake news and conspiracy theories. We're going to talk about science and faith. We're going to talk about government and freedom. We're going to talk about love and power. And in the midst of all this, at the center of all this, is going to be Jesus Christ. Because we're going to talk about truth and how Christians pursue truth. We're going to talk about what we do when we disagree about the truth. And the heart of all of that is Jesus Christ. We as Christians have a bedrock of truth that lies beneath us, and that is Jesus. He is the foundation of all that is true and right in the world and the universe. And the truth that is in Jesus supersedes all cultures, all governments, all theories, and all philosophies. At the heart of this series is Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh. Now, despite that, that hasn't landed us all in exactly the same place. Some of us have realized over the course of the last year that there are big areas of our lives that we have just not surrendered to Jesus because we're afraid to let them go. Some of us need to turn to Jesus and make him the center of our passions for the first time in our lives. And some of us just need to step back and take a deep breath and get some perspective so we can heal. I want to begin by looking at a passage that's going to be the cornerstone of this whole series in John chapter 14, where Jesus talks about truth. Open to the Gospel of John chapter 14. Turn on your Bibles, open up your Bibles, paper or digital, it's all the word. Look at John chapter 14 at verse 1 and follow along with me in the text. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is a really strong Uh, statement from Jesus. Uh, it, It frustrates me when I listen to Muslims talk about the Bible and they say, Jesus never claimed to be God. He does it again and again. And this is exactly how he does it. The way you treat God is the way you treat me because you're doing the same thing. It's he and I are the same. The way you treat the father is the way you treat the son. The way you treat the son is the way you treat the father, right? He's identifying himself with God. This is a strong statement. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, Would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, hold on to this. This is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. The carpenter of of Nazareth, who designed the entire universe has gone before you to prepare for you a vacation home for all of eternity. And it's not going to be like one of those HGTV moments where they, they lift the curtain of the new redesigned house and the family goes, Forest Green, what is this, 1985? If your house is Forest Green, God bless you. But it's not going to be that. The, the guy who made you, and who knows you through and through, and knows all your tastes and preferences, has gone before you to prepare the place where you will spend eternity. This is one of the great promises in all of Scripture. Don't skip over this one quickly. A a friend of mine uh, went to heaven a few years ago, 
And his family tells me that the last word he said before he went was, wow. And I think he was catching a glimpse of what's to come. Jesus says, I'm going before you. I'll prepare a place for you. Hold on to that. We've lost a lot in this last year, including here in this church. But we have an, a, a promise of eternity where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain and all tears are wiped away. Jesus goes on, verse 4. You know the way, excuse, yeah, you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? <laughs> I, I love I love Thomas. Thomas uh, was known as the doubter. Thomas is a, a tactile person. Thomas has to see things with his own eyes and touch things with his own hands. And otherwise, he's stubborn and skeptical. Uh, I really, I like Thomas. There, there's a moment in Thomas's life where Thomas says, uh, until I can feel the holes in Jesus' hands, I won't believe that he rose from the dead. The holes from the nails. I won't believe that he rose from the dead. And Jesus welcomes that kind of thinking. Jesus goes and says to Thomas, Thomas, look right here. Look right here. Uh, and this is such good news for all the scientific thinkers out there, all the tactile learners out there who say, I want to see it with my own eyes, I want to touch it with my own hands. Jesus welcomes that kind of thinking. He doesn't oppose it or scold it. Uh, and, and so Thomas is saying, hey, Jesus, you're talking about something kind of abstract here. Jesus says, I'm the, the way to where we're going. And, and the word that's used in Greek here for way is hadas, which means road. It's actually where we get the English word road. We added an R in there somewhere, hadas. And he says, I'm the road to where we're going. And Thomas, who's very tactical, goes, what are you talking about? We don't even know which city you're going to. How are we supposed to know which road? Are you going to Damascus? Are you going to Jerusalem? Are you going to Antioch? How are we supposed to know which road you're talking about? Jesus answered, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the road. I am the hadas. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father, God in the flesh. I am the way and the truth and the life. We're going to break that down today and look at those three claims independently of each other. What does he mean when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life? The early Christians didn't call themselves Christians at first. They called themselves the way, the book of Acts tells us. Jesus says, I am the way, and then they said, we are the way. We are the people of the way. And if you choose to follow Jesus today for the first time, you become a person of the way. We are a people of the hadas, a people of the road. And Jesus says, I'm the road. Stay on the road. I'm the one that takes you to your destination. And the person that I really have in mind here is the person who says all roads are the same they all go to the same place in the end anyway that's not what Jesus said that's that's virtually the opposite of what Jesus said Jesus says I am the way and I get it people respond to that and go how on earth could Christians say that yours is the only one isn't that arrogant isn't that isn't that to promote violence against people you disagree with. Christians have already proved historically that when you think you've got it right, you mistreat people who think differently than you. 
How on earth can you say you are the way? Well, let's look at that one first. Jesus said, uh, said I am the way. Uh, and when he did that, he did not do so that, so that people who follow him could go on social media and be as insulting as they can to people who disagree with them. Your biggest obstacle to leading people to Christ this year is not going to be that people hate Jesus. That's never the case. The biggest obstacle to leading people to Christ in the year 2021 is that they've seen what your friends and colleagues have written on social media about the people they disagree with. And many people out there in the world who don't follow Jesus think that the people who do follow Jesus just hate them. People who go on social media and just spew insults at people they disagree with have done more damage to the kingdom than your average Satan worshiper. When Jesus said, I'm the way, it was not to empower his followers to go throwing rocks at people. He had an entirely different purpose in mind. When Jesus said, I am the way, what he was doing was setting us free. Because what he says is, the day is going to come where we stand in front of him and we give an account of how we've lived. We're going to look back over our whole lives and present ourselves to him and at that day we stand in front of the God who is our judge but Jesus wanted to deal with that before we got there and so Jesus went to the cross to take upon himself all of our sins and all of our brokenness so that when we stand in front of him the judge's work is already done the judge's work was done at the cross and when we stand in front of him, there's nothing left to judge. There's nothing left to litigate and arbitrate. It's all done. Uh, I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, when I was a little kid, uh, uh, we had a, a parakeet. Uh, and uh, it's important that in life you work your way up through the animal chain so that you can be a parent one day. Uh, you, you get a fish, and then you can have a bird. And if the bird doesn't die, you can get a dog. And then one day you can be a parent. And that is the cycle of life right there. And... Um, by the way, I don't want to get in anybody's business here, but we've got some newly married families in our church, newly married couples, and uh, it's really it's none of my business, so you know, far be it from me to overstep any lines. But um, it, let's say that there's a, you know, a, a wife who really wants to be a mom and a, a husband that's not that sure. Um, if that husband is, is asking for a dog, you might want to say yes. Uh, because keeping a little cute thing alive and cleaning up after its poop is about the best preparation for fatherhood I ever had. And so, not as any of my business, but you might want to say yes to that because that can lead to great things later on. None of my business, just side note, hypothetically. We had a parakeet when I was a kid, and there was a, a time where a parakeet somehow, this parakeet somehow got, it, the parakeet's name was Pete. And later we got a dog, and his name was Pete also, so we called him Repeat. Anyway, the parakeet had a string wrapped around his talons. And uh, I could tell it was, it was straining his his, uh, his foot, and he was always pecking at it, and, and I knew it hurt him. And, and I would reach in to the cage to try to get the string to remove it from him, but because he was in pain, when he saw this big hand reaching for him, he thought I was going to try to hurt him worse. And so he would rear back and try to bite me. He'd be all like, rah, rah, rah. that's the sound that parakeets make in this story. And uh, so I'd reach in and try to get that string, and he'd never let me near him because he thought I was reaching in to hurt him. Well, listen, Jesus is the way. He went to the cross to open up a door for you so that the work of judgment was done so that you could go to that place that he's prepared for you. 
if he is not your way, then when he comes and reaches for you, you are going to be afraid that he is reaching for you like a judge. That when he reaches for those broken places in your heart to try to get a hold of them, he's reaching in there to point out the places that you are broken. And in your shame, you may well try to shelter those things that he wants to heal. If he is not your way, you will only know God as your judge. But if he is your way, if you believe he went to the cross for you, then you will know that when he reaches for you, it is only as a doctor reaching for you in love to heal you. You have to know Jesus as your way because it is in knowing Jesus as the way that the judge's work is satisfied. And now he is only a doctor who loves you coming to heal you. There are all kinds of people who say, I don't know if I want to go to church because when I walk in the church, the roof is going to fall down because of the life I've lived. They're like a parakeet going, ah, If you know Jesus is your way, you know where you're going. You know that way has been paved, that door has been opened, and you have peace about the future. So when Jesus says, I am the way, it isn't to empower you and I to condemn others. It's to free us, to stop worrying, to live in peace, and to love people in his name. He begins with, I am the way. And then he goes on, and he says, I am the truth. Uh, if, the, uh, if knowing Jesus as the way opens the future to us, knowing Jesus as the truth gives us a past. Jesus, as the truth of our lives, grounds us in a foundation that gives us sense and purpose. Jesus is the one who made us, and that truth is now written into our DNA. We are made in the image of God. The fact that we know where we came from and the fact that we know where we're going are the two pillars that hold up this bridge of life between the beginning and the end. Jesus, as the truth, is the one who made us, our intention and our purpose is grounded in his intention and purpose for us. It's an utter mistake to say that because people think they have truth, they then abuse people, that because of that, therefore there's no truth. It's an utter mistake to say that, that because people abuse power when they think they know the truth, that therefore there is no truth. The relativist perspective, that all point of views are the same, is utter nonsense. Uh, and I'll tell you what I mean. Um, I ran into a, a guy uh, a while back who was a college professor, and he was a few years ahead of me uh, in age. And um, uh, we started chit-chatting, and I started thinking, I'm going to talk to this guy about Jesus. I'm going to see if I can lead this conversation uh, towards a conversation about Jesus. And um, we were talking, and I told him I was a pastor. And he got this really nervous look on his face. And he said, not one of those evangelical ones, right? Now, I've stopped using the word evangelical because it has been co-opted by political forces. And when I talk about Jesus, I don't want it to be disturbed by talk about politics. And so I've stopped using the word evangelical. I'll tell people I'm an orthodox Christian, meaning I believe in the core truths of the Christian faith that have held true in every generation throughout history, and I believe Jesus' name should be made known. So what I told this guy was, well, I'm a, I'm a biblical Christian. And he said, well, I'm a progressive. Now, 
I'm never offended when I talk to somebody who thinks about the world differently than I do and lives differently than I do. I like people like that, as did Jesus. What offends me is bad vocabulary. And the use of the word progressive is a misuse of that term. I'll tell you what I mean. Progress is only progress when it is measured against an objective standard. Progress is not just constant change, it's improvement against an objective truth that was back there at the beginning. The design, the purpose, the intention. When a piano player progresses, they get better against the standard of the notes. A, progress, a, a piano player progresses because she plays the piece better than she did before. She doesn't just play a bit, bunch of different notes every time and say it's progress. An athlete progresses when she improves against the objective standard of the rules of the game and her for, former performances and the performances of other athletes playing by the same rules. An athlete would not progress if they just went out on the field and made up a bunch of different rules and played a different game. That's not progress, that's Little League. We progress only against an objective standard that has been set and that now stands. I could be called a progressive if by that we mean I am progressing in my obedience to the teachings of Jesus that he laid out 2,000 years ago and that will not change. In that way, I progress because the standards don't change. The only thing that changes is my ability to follow where he leads. When Jesus says, I am the truth, he sets for us a standard against which we progress. And we need that in this world. We need to know where we came from so we know what life is about. And we need to know where we are going so we know what we have to look for. Jesus is the way to that future, and he is the truth that grounded us in the beginning. So, if Jesus as the way is our future, and Jesus as the truth is our past, Jesus, thirdly, is the life, right here and now. Uh, there's a uh, profound uh, I'll call it a profound coincidence of history in this text, uh, although I think God uh, laughs at us when we use the term coincidence. But there's a profound coincidence in this text because Jesus lived in the time of Caesar. Uh, Caesar is actually a, a word for king. There were actually 12 Caesars, and Jesus lived during uh, Caesars number three and four. Uh, but the first Caesar, Julius Caesar, uh, was very famous because he took Rome and transferred it from a republic to an empire over which he ruled over. Uh, he's famous because he spent a lot of time inventing this salad that's really good. And he's famous because he went around putting a monogram on everything he touched. He had a, a slogan for his life, and you've heard it before. Uh, his motto, his slogan was, Vini Vidi Vici. I came, I saw, I conquered. He crossed the Rubicon and he went into Rome and he conquered it. I came, I saw, I conquered. Vini, vidi, vici. And I know you've seen it before because every time you walk into some swanky hipster cafe, there's some 23-year-old wearing a shirt that says, Vini, vidi, vici, even though the only thing he's ever conquered is a latte. But the, the phrase has existed to this day. And so Caesar in his day, would go around writing VVV on all his stuff. He put it on his chariots. He put it on his buildings. It was his motto. He was a rock star, and he wanted everybody to know. Vini, vidi, vici. In the shadow of that empire, a Nazarene walked around among an illiterate peasant people and said, I am the way, 
and the truth and the life. Now, he probably said it in Hebrew or Aramaic, and it was written down in Greek, but 300 years later, an early church father named Jerome would translate it into Latin. And when he did, he chose three Latin words for this passage. I am the way, which in Latin is via. I am the truth, which in Latin is veritas. And I am the life which in Latin is vita. I, I am the via, the veritas, and the via. I, uh, vita. I am the way and the truth and the life. And so, ironically, in history, there is now this great contrast. And I think Jerome never intended it when he wrote it, but it's a profound irony all the same. We stand in the shadow of empires, where the Caesars of our day say, Vini Vidi Vici, I came, I saw, I conquered. I am the greatest. My way is the right one. I will take this world and put it under my rulership. And in the midst of this fight of empires that we live in, there is still the still small voice of the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life the via, the veritas, and the vita. We can choose to follow the way of Caesar, V, V, V. Or we can choose to follow the way of Jesus, V, V, V. What a shame it would be. What a failure. If people right now, one of you, continued walking in the way of Caesar, Spending your whole life chasing after whatever you can conquer. Money or treasures or strings of friendships or romantic relationships so that you somehow leave a mark on this world to show that you were here. What a shame if you spend your life just trying to conquer what you can. When there is a way of healing and peace and love and truth that's so much better than that and available to all of us. And you could choose it right now. The richest man in Singapore today has realized that himself. It was fascinating. I watched an interview with him. His name's uh, Philip Ng. And uh, I think he's worth about $14 billion today. Uh, and there was an interview that he did just prior to the pandemic. Uh, and in the, in the interview, he says this. He says, he was reflecting over his life, and he says, I was always in search of a better life a better purpose, a better me, a better everything. I was just looking at all the wrong things, but when I realized there was no, but then I realized there is no better me or better things without Jesus. Then it all snapped into place. Maybe we have to look deeper. Now I treasure my faith more than anything. I just wish that everyone could have that peace and joy. It sure beats a lot of money and material things that you might have. What a shame if after this last year has shown us how fragile and futile this world is that we'd go back to trying to conquer it. 
when Jesus calls us to a better way. So over the next eight weeks, we're going to spend time looking at the things that we have been spiritually taught over the course of the last year and what God has called us to. And in the midst of it all is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you call us out of the brokenness of this world and out of the self-centeredness of our conquests, and you call us to live true life and real life. I thank you that you've opened a way to a future that counts. You've grounded us in a truth that tells us who we are, and here today, your spirit lives in our hearts. Teach us to live holy for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you again soon. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.